Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons for the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary and Ann Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Larissa Levicheva. She is a professor of Bible and especially an Old Testament scholar uh, for Wesley Seminary here with me, one of my colleagues here. And our text this week is Isaiah 58. Isaiah chapter 58. The official text is verses 1 through 12, but we went ahead and looked at a 13 to 14. So Isaiah 58, the whole chapter will be our focus this week. And I was so happy to um, have Larissa on again. I've been having on having her on a lot when I was working through some of these uh, uh, challenging uh, prophetic texts um, during this uh, epiphany season. Uh, make sure to subscribe if you're not already, uh, so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, just make sure to hit the uh, subscribe uh, and share button, especially. And pass it on to other people. Let them know uh, what we're doing here if you think it might benefit them as well. Thanks for listening to the show and enjoy this conversation with Larissa. Isaiah 58, looking at verses 1 through 12. I guess it has, we can talk a little bit about why there's that little suggested uh, cutout. But yeah, Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 12. One of us can read and the other can pray. Would you rather read or pray? What's what you in the mood for today? I'll read. Is that okay? Go for it. Isaiah 58. Cry loudly, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet, and declare to my people their transgression, and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me day by day, and delight to know my ways, as a nation that has done righteousness, and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. They ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted, and thou hast not seek? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you do not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast you find your desire, and drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife, and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed, and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast which I choose, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into the house. When you see the naked, cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth. 
and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness. And if you give yourself to the hungry, and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness, and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you, and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters do not fall. And those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the aged old foundations. And you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. Hmm. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we dare to ask now that your word would come both in letter and in spirit, not only as talk, but as power. For the word of God that was on the lips of the prophets is the very word by which you created all things, and the word that became flesh in your son, Jesus Christ. And so it is in the power of this word that we turn to this ancient word as a living word for us. And dare to ask that your power would be moving during this conversation, uh, not only for Larissa and I, but for all who are listening in across time and space, that they too will, by your word, be empowered to hear and to respond with faith working by love. We dare to ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Well, I've got a bunch of questions, and we can either <laughs> okay. start with those, or maybe there's things you just want to say to get started. Is there anything I want no, to you... give you the floor if you have any <laughs> no, but... introductory? <laughs> yeah, it's a fascinating passage, this. I mean, this is not immediately relevant, I suppose, but I was just glancing mm-hmm. at what was in the lectionary text because for the, the other parts of the canon for okay, this day. Right. Mm-hmm. And now I recommend to most lectionary preachers to not try to preach on all the texts, right? Uh, but it's sometimes just a, a curiosity to wonder if there's at least some resonances there. And often the New Testament selections are sort of affecting the Old Testament mm-hmm. selections, you know, not always, but often. And right. Um, the only, they were the connections were very loose. It was some material from Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount, but at a deep level, I sensed the connection because of this kind of, you know, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, right? It was very right. much about this sense of are you just engaging in these fast days as a kind of show of empty righteousness, right? And the connection there too was the light shining, yeah. Right? Oh, right. The salt and light. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So anyway, it just kind of initially inspired me to really see the the concern for justice right. woven into even the Sermon on the Mount in mm-hmm. chapter five, even this kind of like, because the notion of a fast in verse, you know, six, seven, eight, that the fast that I'm looking for is 
the justice that you enact on behalf of others. And at least for me, I was the most moved even to conviction on verse three, right? Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire. I have some translation questions about that. But then the next line about drive hard all your workers, this notion of some religious practice is at the expense of (laughs) the lesser. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... The that was a lot where my initial questions I had some just immediate translational questions. The two phrases, verse two and three, that I wanted to ask you about if it's okay, and we can go somewhere else if you want. But the phrase they delight in the nearness of God is uh, like, what is that trying to evoke? It's a beautiful phrase, but like, uh, what's going on there? And then I also wanted to ask you about on the day of your fast, you you find desire, like, what's Mm -hmm. what's exactly going on there? These phrases weren't clear to me. I was wondering if you could help me out. <laughs> well, I think that um, the fast is uh, always associated with worship, okay. right? So the point of any worship is the drawing closer to God. Ah, okay. Right? So by um, denying yourself food or laying in, you know, sackcloth and ashes, right? De- denying basic necessities, right, of life – you're doing that purposefully so that that will help you draw closer to God. Yeah, and is so the idea of, the a, is it a purification physical? kind of thing? Or is it a, at least in the ancient world, would a fast be associated with worship in the sense of a kind of more, a, more of a pure vessel for worship? Or was it a kind of a, an act of sacrifice, making oneself the sacrifice? I'm just right. curious about making sense of ancient fasting. Yeah, I think it is you do something, it's a physical action that evokes Uh, a particular uh, emotional and spiritual, uh, maybe stance as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So by posture, right? By not not eating, the, the hunger itself, it's not that you're purposefully starving yourself, but because you're feeling this hunger... You humbly approach God, yeah, asking that makes for. Sense. Does that make sense? Put yourself or, in the position of beggar, right? You know, which is fitting in the act of prayer and praise. Right. Yeah. Okay. I so, think I track that. Traditionally, so um, delight in the nearness of God is that it's that's approaching God, right. right? They're yeah, they delight coming near to me, but right, what else is going on? Is what's right. gonna is the twist that's coming? Yeah. Okay. So the posture, the physical posture, you. You purposefully choose a particular act, physical act or physical posture that will physically bring you closer to God in a way. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And even that's why I asked about purity, just because there's also a kind of literal approaching God that takes place when one goes to the temple, right, right for worship. Would that be seen as a kind of act of approaching God right. like, to go on pilgrimage or not? Would that be? Um, yes, but uh, when you think about putting sackcloth and ashes, mm-hmm. this is something that would never be allowed. Oh, okay. So it's not so just the temple a, thing. Okay. Right. So this is actually purposefully lowering yourself, humbling yourself. Yeah, and the parallelism in three makes right. that really clear, right? Why have we fasted and yet, and you do not see us or regard us? Right. Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? And that links fasting and humbling um, in Hebrew parallelism, right? Kind of. Right. Yes. I see. Okay. Because, um, and you know it's we afflicted our soul. So the that KGB uses that phrase. So the it's the purposeful like 
traditionally, God always looks with extra care mm -hmm. and extra favor on the afflicted, on the oppressed. So we take the posture. I see. We, you know, we, we behave as poor and afflicted, which means we do not eat. We put sackcloth and ashes, which this physical appearance should have already uh, should have brought God already closer. Yeah, and that's why they're struck by right. it. It's kind of like, hey, I'm yes. I'm I'm in solidarity with the poor here, at least in externals, and right. I'm evoking the posture of those who you regard and who you care for. And that's right. the, hence the question. Okay, that 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 does help me. So then, so sackcloth and ashes would never be in the temple. Would fasting days ever correspond with uh, temple pilgrimage, or is temple always about feast? seasons is that traditionally there is only there was only one big fast day and okay. that was the day of atonement okay and that was uh, centered around the temple sure but you wouldn't actually be in the temple during the fast day it would be or the just well, the priest would well right the high priest is the yeah. one going all the way into the holy of holies and the man would be inside the temple you know the court okay. of men that the, or the court of the priests um, nobody would go inside the temple itself, sure, except right, for just the temple courts um, yeah. for the priests. But the whole idea: the closer you are to the center, which would be the holy of holies, right? The closer you are to God. So that was the day when traditionally man would go. Yeah, but that would be Close only one. Be. Okay, right. But it didn't require any sackcloth and ashes. No, right? just fasting. Right, I and see. that's from. Sundown to sundown, right? And there That's would be the, a feast afterwards. Correct. So the fast builds up to the feast and, okay. Right. Yeah. And so if you were traveling there, you would say, I'm going out for the feast, even though you would end up fasting while right. you were there. It's right. all part of the build up to the... Right. In the New Testament, okay. it's, uh, it's mentioned as the great fast. Ah, okay. Can't tell you exactly where, but that's... Somewhere. Somewhere somebody somewhere yeah <laughs> I was just but it's in, there i was just in hebrews uh yesterday in chapter two where he says somebody somewhere said when it quotes psalms 110 it's like you dude you know where this is what do you mean somebody somewhere <laughs> right i love that all right that's that's all very helpful so so what's interesting here then is that uh why have we fasted right mm -hmm. so it's the idea is that it's not just one that great fast Day of Atonement once a, a year that mm -hmm. they do, but they instituted more. Yeah, they seek me day and night and delight. Yeah, right. So they've instituted fasts that they know should bring them closer to God. Right. So they obviously go um, far beyond the letter of the law. Mm -hmm. so Try in their seeking of you know seeking God. But. And is that implied in the in the text here because of the the references to seeking me day and night and the um, why have we fasted yes. and you do not mm -hmm. see this is kind of a right. these extra fasts these excessive fasts hence the and the sackcloth and ashes all being kind of a clue that he's they're kind right. of overdoing it right, <laughs> right? Yes. okay um, and that yes. could be appropriate but in this case because of what else is going on correct like I, I yeah. take it the that's the Yes. The logic of God's judgment here is the it's the injustice of your lives in general that make all this excess religion odious to me. It's not it's not the religious behavior as such. Correct. 
Yes, is there that, is nothing wrong in fasting. Uh, yeah, okay. It's the reason why you do it. Yep. Yeah, what if, tell me about on the so right after they ask their question in verse 3a. Mm-hmm. Then in like 3b or 3c and d depending on how you break it up. <laughs> right. Um it, it seems that the question is ended and he's and you know the Lord is kind of responding saying behold on the day of your fast. Mhm. Um, you find desire, you find your desire, like all the translations I was checking and all the little, just the tiny bit of work I was doing with the text. I, I was having a hard time kind of like making out this little sentence. Can you just help me with that? That was one little question I brought with me today. Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> you know, since you, you know, teach Hebrew, I take it that you might be able to help us out. <laughs> I, I think it's... Um... I think what Isaiah is doing here is that there is a lot of irony going okay. on. Yeah. Like you're fasting and you when you, you when you fast you behave like you're poor and oppressed, right? That's mm. that's the point. But however, when you when you fast, your workers actually work very very hard to make your fast a you know, a pleasant occasion so to speak. <laughs> okay, okay. Does that make sense? It does make perfect sense. So they, and I see that in the second line, so that's kind of helping me make sense of the first right. then. Okay. So the desire that they find, they they find fulfillment in that because they um people get richer or better than somebody else because of all those people who are working for them, rather than finding the desire when they seek God. Yeah. So you think you're seeking God when you fast, but your desires are actually for yourself. So you do find your desire. Ah. You just don't find God. Yeah. Well, this is, I mean, not to harp on this. I just, uh, I was doing some version comparison. And when people ask me, I don't, I don't know how you tend to advise when people ask me about, uh, translations. Mm-hmm. What's the, what's the best translation to use? And I, and I always say as many as possible is right. always what I say. Right? I'm guessing yeah. you're on the same page with that. And I find that actually I can convert people to, the translations I prefer by just doing that because over time they'll start to realize like, Oh, some of these are clearly some are taking more liberties and that's okay. That can help me, but I can take that as so, so like the, the NRSV, which when you click on the, the Vanderbilt website that has the the great, uh, like that great lectionary website. So I Mm -hmm. use that sometimes. And when you click on that, that's like the default one. So I sometimes will see that first, not always, but it, it says, look, you know, you serve your own interests on your fast day. And I could see how that's maybe the same, but that feels like that's a bit of a stretch mm-hmm. given. I mean, our RSV has behold in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. Mm-hmm. ESV has same seek your own pleasure. Um, yeah. NIV has you do as you please. NASB has, you find your desire, which I think is mm-hmm. almost – that's as wooden as you could get. That's kind of just the word there, find and desire. Yeah, and KGV has find pleasure. Yeah. So it's not about – right? It's not about seeking. It's actually about yeah finding. Yeah, find yeah, – ple- so, they both have find. Right. So uh, when you hear that quick stretch, what, do you, what, what would you say is the kind of – at least your kind of preferred – translation of just that one line well the the, the verb the verb is matzah which is to find okay right that's you know they, so then all the, the unleavened ones bread are... that they saw in the um 
desert, right? Yeah. Matzah. Oh, right. So, okay. So they find it. They were not seeking for it. Right? Okay, so any they of these more seeking ones are a little problematic in the sense right. that they. I think they're it. going to like that's the interpretive idea of instead of seeking the Lord, you yeah. seek your own desires. Yeah, I think that's that's my guess. Yeah, yeah. So it's not absolutely false and contrary to the spirit of the text, but it, it something is right. A little bit's lost in translation there when right. you go in that yeah. direction. Okay, I just saw NLT oh. because you're fasting to please yourselves. Yeah. Interesting. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. Man, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's actually, <laughs> I find NLT is the one that like annoys me the most and delights me the most. It's a great translation because they always take a, make a decision. Right. Yes. They always take mm -hmm. a stand on how to take the text, which means sometimes I sometimes don't agree with what they right. do, but when they get it, man, like, even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. I mean, that's that's the point, right? And that's sharper right. than some of the other translations capture. Yeah, wow. Well, what else jumps out at you here? What what did you bring today that, that kind of excites you about this text? Or well, <clears throat> I'm still I'm still trying to figure it out and like put into um, a nice thesis, so to speak. Sure, sure, statement. sure. But. Um, I've been reading uh, a lot through Second Isaiah, right? Oh, you know, starting forty-one and on, uh, chapters forty-one and on, and then like Malachi and all that because of um, the writing I've been doing. And what's what's interesting is that uh, these chapters talk about the hope and the excitement that um, that will accompany the, the coming of the Messiah. So. This, this is, um, you know, when this, when the Messiah comes, everything will be great, right? In a way. Because, you know, people are waiting for, waiting, uh, for the time of restoration, rebuilding of their, you know, state and mm -hmm. everything, right? That Messiah will put to right. And yet when we read, uh, the, when we read this, uh, verses, Closely, we see that when Messiah will come, he will actually come to judge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, but quite recently that um, really struck me because we usually talk about judgment as the second coming of the Messiah, mm. right? When he comes back, then he will come to judge. Right, right. But he, he came the, the first coming. Mm -hmm. He actually came to judge the first time around. Yeah. Right. But he, you know, and when he said the judgment uh, begins with your own house, mm -hmm. right? So the judgment came on the Jews, and that's why it was so hard for them to hear. Yeah. Right. What they were saying. So the same. I think the same is here. The same we we see here in this um, in this passage. Right. Yeah, because there's this word of hope at the end, which is I wonder why the lectionary leaves it optional. The nine. B through 12 to include that because it, it takes us much more kind of hopeful turn, at least by 12, which may not be the emphasis of the, the text at hand, you know, just a few weeks before Lent starts and everything. So it's kind of like, you know, I, but when you fast, why, why are you really fasting? Right. And are you the real, the fast that really matters to me is the, the just relations with those, um, without power beneath you, you know, that's, that's the real fast, you know, everything else is just window dressing. Right. And 
to see that, I mean, this is at the heart of Jesus' life and ministry. This is this is the theme that just runs through it all. I mean, I was reading 58 and saying, like, this is just like, right. was this Jesus' favorite like passage? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. like uh, you just see this real, it just captures so much of the spirit of the way he lived and taught and right. called out and why he was such a controversial figure. Right. Because right. it does sound, it's very irreligious right. to say the real fast is justice. It's like, no, no, no. The word fast doesn't mean that. It means for me, right? To, right? Yeah. It's it's a, it's stretching the bounds of our normal right. use of a term. And actually, I'm really interested why the lecture, you know, lecture and reading would even end at twelve mm-hmm. and not at fourteen, the end of the chapter, yep, into the Sabbath but, material, right? Because the last two verses are all about Sabbath, mm-hmm. right? Again, a very important thing that Jesus addresses, right? So it's, yeah. it's fasting and Sabbath. You know, Sabbath is set just to worship God, right? So it's such an important day, and yet it is um, twisted. And the same problem; it can be right. twisted. Yeah. So it's it's very interesting the way the uh, chapter is written, right? You start with the fast, then uh, as it goes into what it should be like, uh-huh. and then kind of goes into Sabbath. That well, it should have been like what I just said as well. So kind of the proper attitude to God, you know, justice and mercy, right, as the center of the chapter was the fast as a bad example right. and a better a bad example of what you're doing, but this is how you should be doing it. And then the same with Sabbath. Yeah, and it so, doesn't develop it as much, so I don't know. Maybe that's why they cut it off and people aren't <coughs> used to how – Hebrew structures work where the main point's in the middle instead right. of at the beginning or the end, right? right? right. Um, yeah. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and maybe talk a little bit more about, about that. And we're back. We're looking at uh, Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 12 with Larissa Levicheva. Welcome back to Fresh Text. Um, and actually, we were just talking about how uh, dipping into 1314 could be really helpful. Maybe I'll just read those. This is from NASB um, with a few comments maybe. But let's see. Where is it? We're looking at 13 and 14. Just these last two lines that kind of basically apply the same spirit to the Sabbath question, which I think is really good. If because of the Sabbath uh, you turn your foot – from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight. So we're getting some of that same language. The holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word. Then you will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You definitely should go through 13. If you're preaching on this, do the whole thing. Sometimes the lectionary breakoffs in the Gospels are worth respecting because they're going to pick up the next one the next week. You know, oh. But a lot of the OT ones, are they jump around more. So generally, if there's a larger passage, if you're preaching, go for the whole chapter. Oh, yes. Absolutely. That makes a huge difference because, because of the repetition of some of those themes that we were asking from the beginning. Right. Especially verse 14a... Then you will take delight in the Lord, which then complexifies back to the irony you were mentioning. Right. And you're nodding your head, so maybe you already had thought this at the end of verse two, right? <laughs> yes. They delight in the approaching God. 
do you delight in approaching God or do you delight in God himself? Correct. And, yes. Um, and actually it's delight in the Lord. So it's even the divine name and not just right. uh, the generic God talk, God language of, of verse two. So then that, cause yeah, you can kind of get, kind of get into religion and practicing your religion, right? Which is what drawing near to God is versus right. the actually delighting in the Lord and then wanting what he wants. And what he wants is justice for the orphan and the oppressed, right? Right. And again, you know, talking about the connection between, you know, verses 13, 14 to the previous mm-hmm. uh, passage, right? It starts with the fasting, which means you deny yourself food. And then in 14, it says, I will feed you. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this... If you preach it, preach the whole text because there are such so strong connections. You're doing all these things supposedly to reach me, but you don't. But if you you're do what I tell yourself. you to do, yeah. then I will do so much more for you. And you, there's no need to starve yourself, right? Because that's not what it's about. Yeah. So yeah. the wealthy pretending to be poor, the the filled pretending to be hungry, or going right. through the motions of hunger as a kind of religious practice when actual people are hungry that you could be feeding, right? right. Is that kind of is that the central irony that I'm capturing? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Throw in your lot with them, and you know, then you really will be. Uh, then I really will hear you. I really will listen when you call. Right, verse nine. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. He will cry, and he will say, "Here I am." Which even kind of puts a little. Uh, maybe I'm playing too much, but this is the middle section, so we're interpreting a little. Like I, for one, at first when I saw the phrase, "They delight in the nearness of God" or in the, in the approaching of God. At first, I was kind of like, "Oh yeah, I want that." Right, mm-hmm. and then as I kept reading, I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> right, like right. that's a problem, actually." Yes. I mean, there's an irony there. So obviously there's a version of that that's, that there's a, not everyone who loves to approach God is doing something wrong, but. Correct. Yes. But the phrase in nine kind of almost flips it on its head. It's like, no, no, I will come to you. You go and be with and be for and seek justice for the poor. Right. And I will come to you. I will meet you rather than you putting on a show of spiritual poverty in order to draw near to me that the imagery here is I'm seeing this kind of our attempt to draw near to God versus God saying, I've already right. drawn near and I draw near to the lowest right. among you. So why don't you go there <laughs> right. and help them? Right. And then I'll see, then I'll be with you. Yes. Is that capturing the, the motion of the yeah, so passage? The, the whole idea of, uh, inventing or instituting more fast days, right? Or God already said, this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. But we're trying to do even more, mm-hmm. even, you know, embellish that even more and even more mm-hmm. and even more. All the time trying to find God, but God already said, you know, this is where you find me. <laughs> you don't need to do more than that. Just do that. I have told you, oh man. <laughs> right? Yeah. Did you so, you were Malachi or Micah? You I was in Malachi. You were spending time around. My bad, my bad. No, no, that's fine. But that's... <laughs> we just had that text a couple weeks ago right. with Sophia. Micah okay. 6. With... Eight. Yeah. Yeah. He's already told you what the fast is that I'm looking for. Right. Now, is this a... You tell me, like, is this a... Man, if, if all I had was verses 6 and 7, 
right? If all I had was six and seven, and I don't, of course, but if all I had was six and seven, I would think that there, this is almost a replacement. Do this instead of fast, right? Justice instead of religion, as it were, right? Right. So I'm going to kind of put on my social justice warrior hat for a second and say, like, all this religion stuff is just a distraction. Shouldn't we just focus on this? Isn't that what this passage is teaching us? <laughs> That all the festivals, all the fasts, all the things in the Jewish practice then and all the Christian traditions now, it's all just, it's all bunk. It's all just a distraction from what really matters, which is loosing the bonds of wickedness, undoing the bands of the yoke. Right? right. What so, do you think? Well, <laughs> I think, again, you know, it's, it's kind of silly to think. That God, all God needs from us is the fasting, and like that's as if we don't, as if if we don't eat or take a shower, really says yeah. anything about our spirituality or mm -hmm. anything about our relationship with God or the other, right? And God sees so, hearts, so right. That's so the, for the, everyone else, right? Right. So the point is that fasting only matters if when you are experiencing that. You go and you share with those who are truly hungry. If you're laying around in sackcloth and ashes, you understand what it means to live on the street and not and not have access to basics mm -hmm. that's we consider them. Mm -hmm. Right. But then that moves you towards doing something for those people. So the action is for the purpose of actually moving you to do something. So yes, it's, you know, it's only meaningful. Fasting is only meaningful if that is all done, because now as you draw closer to God, you draw closer to the neighbor. So, yeah. so uh, as far as, you know, social justice is concerned, if it's done out of love for God, right? Not just, Justice for the sake of ah, justice. Okay. Then there That's is. That's what a, makes it a fast. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So you deny yourself something so that the other would be fed. So I think that's that's probably the the turn I'll take was this text. Yeah. Like not just social justice for the sake of social justice. Right. But social justice as as our being a living sacrifice to use the language from Romans 11 or Romans Correct. 12 right. excuse me Correct to actually enact the sacrifice to say I'm going without not because that's holy but precisely so that I can be generous right. with the limits I've set on myself Correct um opens up the possibility for me to to care for another Right. And the relationship with God is all about hospitality, right? He's hospitable to us by bringing us in mm -hmm. and inviting us into his presence yeah. rather than us, you know, I don't know, knocking on the door yeah, and making door sure that right. he lets us in, which this particular type of fasting yes, is I trying to that. do. That's right. But then, also denial of God's grace to think that like he's God's at a distance and waiting for us to get his attention. Right. And it's like... Well, that might be true for the pagans, but not for my people. I've elected you. I've chosen you. I'm already with you. Right. And I've shown you the way to be with me in return, which is how you treat the sojourner in the land, the widow, right. the, the orphan. That's 
that that is the equivalent of me to you now. Right. Welcome right. them. So the whole idea of the hospitality and being the oh, that's good. The um, the people, right? Driven by hospitality, and then of course you know um, <laughs> the James picks up that right. Yeah. The true religion, right here it says mm. the true fast. He says it as a true religion, right? So oh, that's that is end of chapter one. Yeah, that's close. Right? Oh, and it's true religion though. I mean, but the language of in the ancient. I mean, right. the language of religion in in the in the Greco Roman context that he would be the the, the Greek mm. language that James is using is just like things like fastings and Sabbaths. These would be all the kinds of things right. that yeah. constitute religion in right. that world. Oh, that's very so, very helpful. Yeah, so you'd say- and it's such a classic case, though, so that how fasting can be just like Sabbath, where Sabbath can be this practice of um, sort of privilege. Or it can be a practice of, I mean, one of the Sabbath commands, I think it's the one in Deuteronomy, where it's very clear, it goes on at great length about not only you, but none of your your right. slave and slave. your cattle. And it right. says, because, I think, yeah, it's Exodus that says, because mm-hmm. I rested, but mm-hmm. the Deuteronomy one says, because you were, we're slaves, slaves in Egypt, mm-hmm. right. right? So don't enslave people. And Sabbath's not really even about my rest. It's about giving rest to others. Right. So it sounds like the parallel with fasting would be that fasting is not just about sort of purifying my own soul right but um by but about uh feeding the hungry right that that's right. kind of at yes. the heart of it oh that's so helpful i don't know if i've seen it that way before now now here i'm going to push another ask another question you can tell me how much we can exegetically address this or not but like i had a i recently in fact had a student friend pastor ask me about like when people choose to fat you know not all these you know institute all the time but at a special season maybe there's something you're really seeking mm-hmm. some guidance or healing or whatever and you maybe a group of people will fast for a season right this is mm-hmm. this is common because of course the narratives of the old testament are full of this kind of behavior right, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and even the new mm-hmm. right paul does it at one point i believe in acts right doesn't he have a fast for a little while anyway yeah. um so there is this sort of consistent pattern that there's a kind of clarity of discernment that comes through fasting there's a kind of almost bargaining <laughs> with god that seems mm-hmm. to be there a kind of sacrifice so that's in the scriptures, and yet this seems to really push against that kind of behavior, at least really, not that it's impossible, but it really, the irony here, I think, raises the question about thinking of our relationship to God in that kind of way. So what would you say to maybe those who practice kind of like, you know, a community time of fasting because of they're seeking something specific from God. Is, is that problematic or do we just need to be careful? What, what would you think? I don't know. I'll tell them, don't read this passage when you practice <laughs> it <clears throat> because that's not what this passage is about. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, or you could say, read this and make sure you don't well, do right, this yeah. while you're doing it. <laughs> but okay. this is this is not the passage to argue against Yeah. that particular gotcha. um, okay. way of discerning or... Yeah, so this right. wouldn't automatically rule that out. Correct. Um, but it does raise the question about that that could that, – that there is at least theologically some questions that could be asked about right. a kind of contractual kinds of exchange 
right. with God, yeah. right? That right. would be the so part. So if that, you remember, that would be the part that worries me. You can be fasting for a very long time and still not hear from God, and that's okay. <laughs> then sure, yeah. but God does not owe you anything, right? <laughs> you starving yourself is your own choice. Yeah, God does not say anywhere. If you do this, gotcha. I will promise. So is this one of these. That's important. That you just said this. Sorry, I just cut you off. But no, you fine. said the God doesn't say anywhere. If you do this, I'll do that. He right. does that some with some things, right. but not with this. Is this one of these kind of hermeneutically one of these prescriptive descriptive distinctions that might be relevant? Like I know with the Book of Acts, we often discuss like, okay, they're describing what's happening in the early church. Are they saying this is what we have to do, or is it just there to give us a general sense of what was happening to inspire us and and. Because now that I'm thinking of it, most of the stories in the scriptures of kind of a fast, well, I mean, it happens in Jonah, it happens in Hezekiah's life, happens mm-hmm. in David, right? When there's like someone's sick and they fast for, you know, and then they, um, that it's occurring to me, none of these Which are in commands. Hezekiah's case was not the best. Yeah, right, right. That wouldn't have, it would have been better if he died. But. Right, 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 right. Good point, right. right. Um, well, there you go. So <laughs> point made, right? That, that these are, that these are things people do. They're not automatically right or wrong, but they're not. The notion that these narratives are automatically, it's a mistake to then take these examples always as instruction, you know? Correct. Um, okay. That, yeah. That's helpful. That's me. a, you know, this is, when we see, well, I don't know, like um, Elijah, uh, Elijah, and, yeah. you know, like time in the wilderness. Right, when, 40, you know. You know, whatever. And at the end, he's kind of. Upset with God, right? Yeah. Look what I've done. And <laughs> right, that's true. What does God say? Like, well, you know, you're not the only one. Yeah, I got seven right? thousand others, and here's here's some. Here, and I'll send you some ravens with some food. Right. Eat, so, dummy. <laughs> right. So I think this is where ah, uh, okay. Like, remember that God is God. Yeah. And we're not. And if God chose to do this yesterday, yeah, it doesn't mean that He will have to do the same thing. For the rest of the year. Yeah, that's good. But I think it's more about our posture and our attitude to the word and to God. What kind of person do I need to be so that when I find myself in a situation like Elijah, God will act on my behalf like he did for Elijah, Mm -hmm. right? Or if I find myself in a situation like Moses in -hmm. the wilderness. So, like... Mm -hmm. What kind of person, Or David, whose son is sick, and he's fasting and praying. And then then when his son dies, he says, make my food. Right. God made his decision. I mean, in many ways, he's expressing it. Right. Right there. It's like, apparently God didn't want him to live, so it's time to eat. He doesn't doesn't owe me anything, (laughs) right? That's right. Or the the Hebrew boys, right? Was the fiery furnace? Yeah. We believe that he'll save us, but if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't. Right. Yep. So we still will not bow down. So what kind of people, right? What are we learning? What kind of transformation has to happen in us so that we will start looking at the world differently? Right. And I think this, this passage deals with that, addresses the whole idea of uh, transforming the mind, not just the action, but the mind, right? Yeah. So that we imagine fast differently. So that we imagine Sabbath differently. Mm-hmm. Right, so we're not just doing different things, but we're doing them because we see them differently. Yeah, 
Preach it, sister. It's <laughs> already good. Let's take a quick break and then talk some more about uh, where we might go with this preaching-wise, teaching. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, uh, Larissa Levecheva. We've uh, had John quite a few times in a row here. It's because we made the switch to OT and I'm right. I'm in over my head. <laughs> and so I've been begging all my all my uh, 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 Hebrew geniuses to uh, <laughs> help me out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're looking at Isaiah 58 verses 1. Uh, through 12 and one through 14, mine as well. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's explore some sermon starters. Where might we want to go with this with sermon or a teaching? What would, what would be a good kind of theme? Where, where, where do we want to go with this today? Well, I don't know. I would think the, something on the purity of heart and mind, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Maybe good. Yeah. Or what it means to live a holy life. Yeah. Or, you know, what, yeah, what is the purpose of any religious action? Yeah. It'd be fun to talk about different, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Were you, no, no, no. say a third one? No. The, uh, I just, when you said the, the, any religious action, mm-hmm. your mind thought of this, uh, so Paul Scott Wilson, mm-hmm. you remember that he's got this nice four pages of the preacher technique where you look for kind of what's the problem in the text world and what's the problem in our world. And then what's the grace that meets that problem in the Mm -hmm. text and what's the grace, how that plays out in our world. Then intro and conclusion, boom, got a sermon. It's it's a nice, I mean, if you don't use it rigidly, it's, it's a nice, and it's loosely kind of law gospel, but also kind of narrative problem. You can put the Lowry Lowry loop right on top of that if you want. Anyway, it just occurred to me that when we want to think about if the problem in the text is this kind of like uh, religious excess that's ignorant to its injustice, right? And with fasting and Sabbath and then looking to our own world and thinking what kind of – what would be the parallel with us? And I don't know. That would be very contextual to each of our listeners. Do you know what I mean? So so for example, I've been a part of churches where like – the exact like perfect thing to say mm-hmm. here would be um, the way we talk about our music, right? Mm-hmm. We're so like, it's a, sh- we're so into it. We're, you know, uh, there's a kind of like the physical expression of love for God in mm-hmm. the context of musical worship is often substituted as the whole of religion. Right. Mm-hmm. But there would be churches that I, I've been a part of churches even now that like aren't as that way. Mm-hmm. So it would just sound like you're whining about other people's churches and they're not real the way we are, you know? Like, <laughs> so you'd have to be very specific to, right. to your own congregation and what they tend to emphasize. Is it tithing? Is it, is it fasting? Um, is it Bible study? Right. I mean, the, yeah. you can substitute any practice of religion to become the kind of whole of our relationship with God. I feel like that would that would require, I think, some contextual sensitivity because it'd be real easy to just be if it doesn't sting a little on yourself, then it's just then you're just kinda, you know, right. posing as a prophet and you know, like right. <laughs> criticizing <clears throat> other people, right? But But I also think that was you know, with this text, uh, churches will say, Well, we are doing something, right? There mm. is a 
I don't know, like a food bank that we're working with, or there is this particular charity yeah. that we're working with, which is great, or that uh, we're supporting missionaries, yeah. or like all of that is great. And I don't think if you do that, that's enough, though. right? Because it doesn't transform you, right? As a person, is that right? I, I assume what you're right. So, just why it's got to be about you know our church yeah. is growing and. It's, Great to go through a building campaign. Yeah. But what about the church uh, downtown that is actually struggling mm-hmm. with paying bills to to keep their building? Yeah. And if it's an affluent church, right? And in this text, uh, Isaiah is talking about people who have means, right? Yeah. I mean, that they seems have their clear. own workers. You don't have right? workers unless you. Right. right. So it's a uh, affluent, uh, you know, people with affluence. So. The idea is that you can do both. It will probably hurt you a little. It will push you a little. Yeah. But, you know, if it doesn't cost you anything, is it really <laughs> worth giving to God, right? So, hmm. like, what is the social holiness that we're called to by this text, right? So, what basically, I think the question is, what else can we do? Hmm. Right. What we have the privilege, we have the standing, we have the finances, and we're doing all these great things. But can we do more? How can we be a truly hospitable community mm-hmm. that anybody would be uh, would be um, at ease coming to us, or would seek us out? Or people will be saying, well, go there, go to that church. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I've heard of churches who will, during a big funding campaign for a building or whatever, they'll do it as a matching thing. We're going to raise this much and right. we're going to build with this and we're going to give the other half away. And and actually, some churches are actually doing that, but not making it explicit. They're, it's just a separate fund. I think, you know. Okay. I mean, it's just happening on accident, like you were saying, because we divide and conquer sometimes in our churches. Oh, we have our ministries, we have our ministries that care for people over here, and we have our worship over here, and we have, you know, but to actually bring it together and say, yeah, we're doing this thing, but at the same time, we're going to push ourselves to make sure we're helping others and not just our own. I think it would be meaningful, right? And people would be more willing to give more. That's the wild thing, is you may. Yeah, it pushes you, but it ends up being inspiring and, and empowering. And right. it's making me think like, again, I, you know, I tend, I, I confess, I tend towards the abstract, but, uh, but it would be to make this very point, but I would want to include this if it was me talking. Right? And in order to drive home that point, especially in the sense of like what we do to build, like literally like when you're building a sanctuary, right? Or, mm-hmm. Planning worship service. All of these are uh, us approaching God, right? I'm thinking yeah. of this, the, mm-hmm. the contrast that we saw at the beginning and end of the passage, right? right? Is our delight in approaching God or do we have a, del- do we also and primarily take a delight in the Lord himself who has shown right. us his way and his movement? If we delight in the Lord, then we, then we know that he's not up there and far away. He's moved down into. Right. Uh, the depths of this world, which fits Epiphany and the season that this text is in. You know, it's the movement of God in Christ into Galilee and among the poor of the world, you know? And right. do we fall in love with our own approaching of God? 
versus actually falling in love with God, which means being where God is. Right. And that would be the kind of like little, like conceptual play I would want to play with. And that irony that who knows, maybe we would successfully build this tower of Babel up to God and we would maybe even reach him and we would get up there. We would get up to heaven and find out he's not there. He already left. (laughs) And and he's down, you know, with the poor outside the gates of this, of this tower we built to him, you know, that would be the, and I guess I'm only asking, well, I guess I don't need your permission, but I respect your opinion is what I'm saying. Does that capture the spirit of the text or have I kind of just made up my own thing? No, <laughs> you I, like, you know? no I think that's exactly what yeah. it's about, right? People create new new ways and new rituals to get closer to God because they think that will bring them mm. closer to God. Yet God says, no, I've already, I'm already with you. I've been with you. Mm-hmm. There are no need no need for new ways of approaching me. Mm. Just now that I'm here, live yeah. accordingly. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, to love so. someone is to love who they love. And if he says, right. I love the poor and the orphan and the widow and the sojourner, then right. so. time to love them too, you know? Right. Well, this has been great. So thanks so much for taking the time. <laughs> Any other concluding thoughts about the text or about preaching on it or just... Well, I don't know. I think we we live in a society right now in the, in the time where there's such huge suspicion, high suspicion of any strangers, mm-hmm. right? So being hospitable is actually extremely difficult to do yeah. because of that suspicion. So I think, you know, as Christians, as a church community, we need to help people come um, get over that suspicion. Mm. Not to be silly and stupid in action, but be wise and discerning. Yeah. Yet be a hospitable community, which I really think it's very difficult to do. Yeah. In this, in this time. Oh, so much of our, all of our malformation is built around fear of strangers. You know, I mean, it's just even children, you know, don't talk to strangers, which is like, Actually, terrible advice. Like, if a kid is <laughs> lost, they need to talk to a stranger. Right. <laughs> but Be smart about strangers. Like, right. Strangers yeah. aren't looking for your help if you're a child. But you can ask them for help sometimes, right? <laughs> right. If they're asking for your help, something's wrong, right? Like, yes. like, like yes. we've been learning how to do that with our own kids. We stopped saying, like, don't talk to strangers. We, we've read some things about that, about, mm-hmm. like, that was one insight was the... So if a, if a stranger comes up to you and says, hey, you know, I need your help with something, or my parents said, you know, your parents sent me to help you, you know, um, that's when you might want to be a little more suspicious. But right. you can look around and say, is there an adult here I could ask help from? Like, that's a good idea. You know, right. <laughs> um, I know that's a, but I mean, it's related because the way we raise our children then sets these standards of avoid strangers. And then it's just right. built into our logic and then it plays out politically. It plays out socially. As adults, um, but we we hammer it into our children from the beginning, right? Um, and I mean, I, you could translate the word sojourner as stranger, right? I mean, right. It'd be yes. an alternative yes. translation. Mm-hmm. So we're literally like directly contradicting the scriptures when we say don't talk to strangers. It's right. like a, it's like a direct <laughs> <laughs> contradiction. Yep. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And like you said, I mean, there's prudence. Right. And there's yeah. wise as serpent, innocent as dove, right? So it's not like you have to be an idiot, but at the same token, to begin to take the risk to um, practice 
a encounter with uh, someone who's different, someone who's right. poor, someone who uh, may be in need and of some kind. No, that's really good. That's really. I'm glad you bring that up because there's definitely a broader social cultural assumption right. that makes this text hard to hear and hard to apply. Yeah. yeah. May God be gracious to us. <laughs> End it on a high note. Yeah. <laughs> Bing. <laughs> well, thanks so much for giving an hour of your time oh, uh, to me and to our listeners and to the Word of God, most of all. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Enjoy doing that. Oh, good. Well, thanks uh, to all our listeners, uh, as always. And thanks to uh, Eric and Todd for their great production work. Can't imagine doing this without them. And thanks to Tom for donating the theme music. With that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Goodbye.